All right, so we are starting a new series this morning called Rhythm. Rhythm. Some of you may ask, what is rhythm? Some of you have no clue what rhythm is, and I'm not going to make any judgments on who I might think that might be. <laughs> Definitely not anyone sitting in the front row that I know. Um, we're going to talk about rhythm, and when we think about rhythm... Um, Generally, we tend to first think of you know, something related to that, that joke of, of something about music. You know, in fact, one of the definitions for rhythm is a strong, repeated, regular pattern of sound. Another definition of, uh, of rhythm would be related to that, and that would be someone's natural feeling for that thing. Again, we've already covered. Some of you are like, rhythm, never heard of her, okay? I don't know what that is. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're going to spend four weeks talking about rhythm, but not musical rhythm. Um, but reg, uh, rather the uh, broader definition of the word, uh, and that definition is a regularly recurring sequence of events, actions, or processes. Rhythm is something that is regular. It's something that's repeated. It's something that is predictable. Rhythm is something that moves you along. Rhythm moves a song along. Rhythm moves different parts of our life along. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about that, and you may already know where this is going. We're going to talk about routines. We're going to talk about structure. And some of you just want to head for the door right now because you're like, I hate routine. I hate structure. Don't put me in a box, Phil. I am a butterfly. I am a unicorn. I must be free. Okay, so hey, if that's you, I get it. You know, don't worry. I'm not going not gonna to try to change who you are in that, in that regard. Um, because here's the thing. Even if you're not like a structure person, you still have rhythms in your life. All of us have rhythms, whether they're intentional and we put them into place on, pr- on purpose or whether they just happen. Rhythms really do, um, they move our life along. Uh, we, we can view so much of our life through the lens of rhythms. I would imagine that every person in the room or watching online probably has, again, it might not be something you intentionally do. It may change slightly, but you probably have a daily rhythm. You probably have a morning rhythm. I would almost guarantee that for the most part, your morning always looks pretty much the same in terms of around the time that you get up, um, what do you do first? Are you like straight to the coffee pot? Are you like straight to the shower? But you kind of do things in the same order the same day over and over. We have these daily rhythms and then we go to work or go to school or do whatever we do for the day. And then we have an afternoon rhythm and an evening rhythm. And then we do it over and over and over. Even our weeks have rhythms. Depending on your job, your season of life, if you have kids or not, your week changes. Usually always on Monday, I, we do the same thing. And I, on Tuesday, I do the same thing at this job. And there's a rhythm. There's rhythms to our year as well. When do I go on vacation? When do I do certain things around the house? There's just rhythms in our lives. And here's the question that I want to ask and I want to press into today. If, if we have rhythms, sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional, if we have rhythms in our life for things as trivial as how we get ready in the morning and it moves us along and it's beneficial and it's good, how much more important is it and how much more beneficial is it for us to have rhythms as it relates to our faith, as it relates to our spiritual lives and our spiritual practice, to have some rhythms that move us along, that keep us on track? So for the next four weeks, we're going we're to talk about that. We're going to talk about creating four different kinds of rhythms in our lives that are going to benefit, that's going to help our faith grow, that's going to keep us on track and keep us moving forward. And so we're going to start with the first rhythm today, this kind of foundational base level rhythm, and that is this. We're going to talk about creating a rhythm of spending time with God. We're going to create a rhythm to spend time with God. And so to do that, we're going to look at a couple passages of Scripture. Um, We're going to look at two different passages. We're primarily going to be in one. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 
primarily. If you want to turn there um, or open it up on a device, grab a Bible from the back, I'm going to have this up on the screen as well. Uh, but we have four accounts of the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and each Gospel, it's telling the, about the same life, death, resurrection of Jesus, but each one is emphasizing something different. Each one is telling it from a different perspective. And the, the, the different Gospel authors have different audiences in mind. Um, and one of the things that Luke is doing with his gospel, Luke is very intentional about wanting his audience to see that Jesus is the Savior and the King and the Lord of the whole world, that Jesus is for everyone, that he's not just the Jewish Messiah, he is that, but he is, again, he's for everyone. And so what Luke does, we see in his gospel, all of these encounters that Jesus has with people who people in that day may have thought, well, no, like God's not for you. You're not invited into this. You're not a part of this. But Luke has account after account of Jesus going up to the, uh, these people that, that fit into um, sometimes the, the, these big three categories of, of kind of negative people that are talked about, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners. Those three kind of get repeated. And Luke is like, yeah, Jesus is going after those people. And in Luke chapter 7, we see one of those encounters. And so there are going to be two people that Jesus interacts with in Luke chapter 7. And I want us to pay attention to the, the posture and the rhythms of these two people uh, as we think about rhythms that we're going to create to connect to God in our own lives. And so Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, here's what Luke records for us. He says, then one of the Pharisees invited him, him being Jesus, to eat with him. And so here is our, our first person. Uh, the first person is a Pharisee. Now Luke's going to go on in a couple of verses to, to name this Pharisee as a Pharisee by the name of Simon. So we'll go ahead, and I'm just going to refer to him as Simon through the rest of this. So Simon is who he's talking about. The Pharisees in general were a group of, of people that are constantly butting heads with Jesus. Throughout his ministry, Jesus and the Pharisees are always getting into it. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They're, they're part of the religious ruling council, and they're a, a particular group of people that are very, very serious about the law of God do things the right way, follow the rules, and enforce those rules upon everyone else as well. They had a, what we would call a zealousness for the law. They were passionate about that, and, and many of them had this thinking that we have to be righteous enough, and if we can get the, the, the people to be righteous, that righteousness is going to usher in God returning. Um, and so they had a very particular way of thinking about religion and religious practice. They had a very particular way of engaging with the scriptures and, and, and practicing their Judaism. And Jesus challenged a lot of their, uh, their conceptions of that. Uh, and so they're constantly trying to get Jesus trapped up in his words or trying to find a way to get him into trouble. And so Simon is one of these Pharisees, and he invites him to eat at his house, um, presumably to, to learn a little bit more about who is this Jesus exactly. What is he all about? Is he someone that, that we can be down with, or do we got to reject him? So Simon invites him over, and Jesus enters the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. <clears throat> And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And now we meet uh, the second person in this account that Jesus is going to be interacting with. And this is this unnamed woman. And Luke makes sure that he tells us that this is not just any woman, but this woman is a sinner. That she is a sinner. Now this is not oh, you know, like she's a sinner and I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and we're all sinners. You know how we kind of think that, right? You know, it's like, okay, I'm broken and you're broken and we're all messed up. 
which is true, but that's not this. Because Luke doesn't say that about everybody else. He's like, oh, you know, and Simon was a sinner, and me, Luke, who's writing this, and I'm a sinner. Like when, when someone goes out of their way to call out, hey, this woman is a sinner, it's this idea like, hey, we're sinners, but like she's really a sinner, okay? I'm bad, but at least I'm not her. She falls into this category of people that, like, like I said a few minutes ago, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. Someone who has a reputation for the wrong things. Uh, there is some speculation, although there is not concrete evidence for this, that maybe this woman is a prostitute. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. But what we do know is she appears to have some sort of a reputation. People in that community, people who are at that dinner party, because there was more people there than just Jesus and Simon and, and the woman. The, there would have been a crowd gathered around because there's crowds everywhere that Jesus goes. People know who this woman is, and she has a past. She has a history. And so she shows up, I don't know how she hears that Jesus is going to Simon's house. Um, you know, a lot of times, most of the time, there's a crowd everywhere that Jesus went. It was hard to keep Jesus a secret because when he goes somewhere, everyone's like, Jesus is here. We want to go see Jesus. Um, houses at that time also were kind of had this open air feel to it. So you could kind of be outside the house but see what was going on in the house. So however it happens, this woman shows up and she's like, Jesus is there. I'm going to be there too. And we're going to have this this. This picture between Simon and this woman, and there's going to be some sharp contrasts between them. So the woman shows up. She's not invited. She's not supposed to be there, but she shows up and just, just does some crazy things. She brings an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. And so to us, we hear these things that she's doing. We're like, well, that's just weird, okay? I don't, I don't know what to make of that, um, and certainly it is. But at that time and in that place, weird is not the thing that they would have thought of. To them, it would have been shocking. Like These were familiar gestures, and it would have made sense, but who was doing it in the way in which she was doing it would have been just so shocking, so socially unacceptable on several different levels. We have her pouring this perfume on Jesus, uh, we don't have the detail here of what kind of perfume this was or how much this cost. We know from some other examples in the Gospels, this is likely very expensive, maybe up to an entire year's worth of wages to, to dump this perfume out. Um, so we see that, which is shocking. We also see that this is a woman interacting with a man in a way in which would not have been socially acceptable at that time. Um, for someone that is just a stranger, for someone that's not a close relative, like you don't get that close to a, a man who you don't know, and so that's not acceptable. And then you throw on top of that the kind of woman that she is, whatever her reputation is, and everyone knows that, you have this picture of people, their, draw, their jaw is hitting the floor. What is going on here? Uh, and, and people would have had a problem with this. And Simon, the, the host, speaks up about the problem that he has with this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. She is a sinner. And so here's Simon is livid. He has this recognition. Look what he says, if he were a prophet. So for Simon, the jury's still out on Jesus. 
He's like, I've invited you over to my house because we're trying to figure out who you are. Are you from God? Are you a prophet? Are you the, like, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for? We don't know. You're teaching some interesting things. You, apparently, you've been doing some miracles. We're trying to figure out who you are. And when, when Simon sees this interaction with Jesus and this woman, to him, it's automatically, you can't be who, we, who people are saying you are. This has disqualified you. You don't fit in the box that I've created for what it looks like when God shows up and works among us. It can't happen this way. It can't be for these kind of people. If you knew who she was, you wouldn't let her do that. You would tell her to get lost. You would tell her to get out of here. You would call her out publicly and say, you're a sinner and you need to repent and you need to do these things. He's like, Jesus, you can't possibly be who people are claiming you are. And this is one of the... the I think one of these powerful, beautiful, upside-down things about who Jesus is is that Simon tends to think because of what Jesus is doing, he can't be who they are waiting for. But it's because of what Jesus is doing that Jesus is exactly who we've been waiting for, that he is so much better than what people's expectations were. And so Simon has all these categories that are being broken. And if you notice, it says that he, he saw this happening, Simon saw this happening, and he said to himself, I don't know if this was like a mumble under your breath kind of thing or if this was, you know, it was just inside thoughts. <laughs> but either way, Jesus has the whole, hey, I'm, the, I'm, you know, God in the flesh. So he knows what Simon is thinking or he knows what Simon is saying here. And so Jesus asks Simon um, a question or says to Simon, hey, I, I have something to say to you, <laughs> which is interesting because I think the expectation that Simon at least is having is for Jesus to say, hey, woman, I have something to say to you, right? Like, you're the problem here. You know, you're the one that's messed up. You're the one that people around seem to have an issue with. And so the expectation would be for Jesus to say, hey, I have something to say to you, lady. But instead, he actually, like, turns and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so Simon said, say it, teacher. Probably not the best answer because this is not going to go well for Simon. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's kind and it's loving, but it's harsh because Jesus is going, to, is going to tell him what's up. So say it, teacher. And Jesus is going to go into uh, just a, a short, just a few sentences, this little parable, this little story that he's going to tell to illustrate a point. And so he says, there was a creditor. This is Jesus teaching now. There's a creditor who had two debtors and one owed 500 denarii, the other 50 and since they could not pay it back, he, this, this creditor, graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And so he's like, imagine this, if you will, Simon. There, there's a guy, there's a money lender. He's lent two different people uh, sums of money, one 500 denarii. And a, 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 that's about a year and a half to two years worth of wages. 300 denarii is about a year's worth of wages for the, the average worker, kind of the average income. And so for 500, he's like, that's a year and a half, two years worth of pay that this guy has borrowed. It's a lot. And the other guy, he, he borrowed 50 and owes 50, which is significantly less, but it's still not nothing. That's a couple of months worth of, worth of work. So, so each owes something pretty significant, but the first guy owes so much more. And so both get forgiven, and, and Jesus uses this and asks the question, which do you think, the, the 500 or the 50 guy, which one do you think is going to love that creditor more? And Simon answers. He says, well, I suppose the one that he forgave more. And Jesus tells him, you have judged correctly. 
you've judged correctly. And this is going to, to be at the heart of the teaching and the heart of, of the relationship with, the, with Jesus and the woman. And Jesus is going to explain it uh, or, or say it more directly here in just a couple of sentences. But I would imagine Simon already probably internally knows what's happening. He's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here, that Jesus tells a story to help Simon understand that because this woman, uh, he's not you know, writing off her past or the fact that she's a sinner, that she's made some mistakes or done all those things. He's not saying, nope, none of that matters. But what he is trying to help Simon to see is because this woman has been forgiven so much, she loves, she has this immense love that is returned in the direction of Jesus. Was she perfect? No, far from it. She had a past. For all we know, she may have had a present, right? Like she was a sinner. Like five minutes before she walked in the door to see Jesus, she may have doing, been doing whatever the sinning was. Jesus recognizes that. But in response to who Jesus was, she stepped out to create a rhythm of connection. She knew who she was. She had heard things about Jesus and says, I need to be there. I need to be connected to him. I need to be in his presence and to be uh, with him. And so this is a new, what we're going to call a new rhythm for her. She had a rhythm of her life before this that involved, what, again, whatever her sin was, whatever her past was, that was normal. That was what carried her on day by day. That was who she was. And now she wants to start something new. There's going to be a moment now, I'm with Jesus, I want a different direction in my life moving forward, a new rhythm, a complete change of direction. And here's what I want us to, to understand. This is a rhythm that has cost her cost her dearly. And so as we think about, I want to be a person of faith, and I want to create rhythms, and I want to be connected to God, we can't, uh, we can't fool ourselves into thinking, I can do that without there being some sort of a cost involved. There was the actual cost for the woman of, of the perfume, um, right? You had the, the really expensive perfume, and so there's this actual cost, and then there's also a social cost involved. This was a rhythm for her that was met with hostility, you know, this is, this is met with Simon going, what are you doing here? Nobody invited you. You're not welcome. God doesn't love you. You can't work here. Uh, or you can't, God can't work in your life. And, and we experience similar hostility if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to create a rhythm of connection with him, kind of on two different, uh, two different types of hostility, broadly speaking. On one hand, you may experience the kind of hostility that, um, that this woman is experiencing. You know, if you make a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus, and, and I want to commit my life to him, and I want to be connected to him, and I want to be close to him, there may be people in your life who know who you used to be who scoff at this idea. Now, you may have neighbors or family members, coworkers, classmates who are like, what are you talking about? You're, like, you're going to be like a Christian now? You're going to follow Jesus now? Who do you think you are? I know what you used to do. I used to go out and do it with you. I know who you used to be. I know what you did last year. I know what you did yesterday. I was there. Don't you remember? Who do you think you are to think you can be some sort of church person now and have faith? And so there may be that kind of hostility in your life. But then there's this other, maybe more nefarious hostility that could come from outside of the church. But honestly, sometimes it comes from within. We get serious about our faith and want to start creating that rhythm of connection with God to hear, wait a minute, you're taking this faith thing way too serious. You're, you're, you're turning one of those like religious nut jobs. Don't be so serious about your faith. You know, it's fine that you have your little Christian thing and you, you love Jesus. That's great. But like, you don't got to bring it into every aspect of your life, do you? And so sometimes we face that kind of hostility as well. We know that these rhythms are going to cost us, but here's what I love about this woman. She doesn't care. It's, there's a singular focus in which she's like, Jesus is at that house. I'm going there. I don't care what it costs me. 
and Jesus lands the plane on this, this conversation, uh, and he does it in such a powerful way. Verse 44, notice the, the wording of this. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. So I want you to picture this. This is, this is a just absolute genius in terms of communication. And so Jesus turns to the woman. So you picture him and her like looking at one another, eyes locked, giving her the dignity that she deserves. Whatever her past was, there's probably a good chance that she very rarely had other people treat her in that way where they actually looked her in the eyes. To actually say, you are a human that is worth looking at. You have that dignity. So he looks at the woman and he starts talking to Simon. So just picture that, right? He's locked in with the woman, and Simon's off here in the, in the peripheral, right? Just like, hey, Simon, I've got something to say to you right now. Well, why are you looking at her? I've got something to say to you. Simon, do you see this woman, or do you see someone who is too messed up? Do you see her, or do you see someone who you deem as less than, as someone who you deem as God could never love and could never work in this person's life? Simon, do you see her? Because I do. I'm staring right at her. There's this huge contrast between the way that Jesus sees this woman, the way that Simon sees this woman, the, like the, the relationship that is happening between Jesus and the woman versus Jesus and Simon. And now Jesus begins to kind of draw attention to the differences between the heart of these two people. He says, Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. So common practice at that time is when you went into a house, you washed your feet. It was dry, it was dusty, it was dirty in that area of the world, right? And, uh, and you're walking around in sandals. And so depending on the house you were going into, if it was someone with enough status that they had a servant, a servant would come and wash your feet with water and a towel. Or if not, the host would at least offer you, here's a bowl of water, here's a towel, let's get your feet washed up. It was the, the basically like the bare minimum of what you would do for someone. It was culturally acceptable. And Jesus was like, Simon, you didn't even do the, like, the most basic thing you were supposed to do. And she went over the top with it. For, with her tears, she has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Another cultural thing of when you would have a guest over, there was like greeting them with a kiss. It's like this is this a basic thing that we do in society. It's cultural. It's acceptable. You're, to be a good host, to be hospitable, you're supposed to welcome me in this way, and you didn't do that. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, another cultural practice, especially when someone of notoriety was coming into a, a home to anoint their head with oil. He's like, Simon, you invited me over. You didn't do any of these things, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. And so the, this, the intention in the heart of Simon versus the woman is, is really starting to be shown. Where Simon was like, Jesus, I want you to come over, but I really have no interest in connecting with you or knowing who you are or what you're about. And then you have this woman who wasn't even invited, and she says, my only desire is to connect with you and to do everything that I can to, to love you and to show that affection. And so therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why, and now he brings it all the way back to the little story that, that uh, he told. That's why she has loved much. She has loved much because she has been forgiven. Simon, this isn't about what it looks like on the outside. This isn't about the fact that you're a Pharisee and you know the law and you know all the things. This is about the fact that, yes, she's got the 500 denarii worth of, 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 of debt, of sin. You may only have the 50, whatever, but you both need to be forgiven. She has been forgiven much. And so she has loved much. She has loved me much. But the one who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
And those who were at the table, so the rest of the crowd there watching all this, with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus responds to this woman with such great compassion. Just this, this picture. And this, this is a response. This is a, 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 um, a picture. Jesus' response here is a picture of how he is eager to meet with us as well. It is a picture of saying, listen, he wants to meet with you right where you are, just like he met with her right where she was. I know you have a past. I know you don't have it all together. But if the posture of your heart is you want to connect with me, I will meet you right there any day of the week. I will meet you right there in that place. You do not have to have it all together. You do not have to have all the perfect religious lingo. You don't have to have a plan. You may have messed up five minutes ago. But if your heart is you want to connect with me, I'll work with that, and I'll meet you right there in that place. See, when we create rhythms in our lives to have space to connect with Jesus, he says, okay, I'll meet you right there. When the the posture of our heart is to say, I want to be with you, I want to connect with you, I want to, and he'll say, okay, perfect, I will meet you right where you are. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've been through, he always meets us. And, and this picture between this woman and Simon is a great picture and a great reminder of what the rhythms are meant to do in our lives. Because sometimes we can turn rhythms into cold religious practice. I do these things because I'm supposed to do these things. But we need to remember that the rhythms are always meant to develop and to grow a relationship with God. That the rhythms are meant to draw us to this place of friendship. It says he wants to know us. He wants to be our friend. He wants us to know him, not just I did that thing so I can check it off the box. Simon is then an example of what we should watch out for. Rhythms where we can become cynical, where we can become judgmental, where we can say God can only work in this way, in this place, and I'm going to write everything else off. Simon's rhythms, it would appear, limited his view of who God was and what God was able to do in someone's life. He couldn't see that what Jesus truly desires is our hearts, not just cold religious practice. There is something that the Apostle Paul comes along later then and says that puts this, I would say, into just a sentence, into a snapshot. So after the the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, the message of Christianity starts spreading all over the, the Roman Empire at the time. And it just starts changing everything. And these little, we call them churches, but they're just gatherings of Jesus followers in different cities and villages and towns all around the Roman Empire start popping up. And they're like, what do we do? Because this is all brand new to them. Some of them have been Jewish and become Christian. Many of them were um, pagans, so worshiping the, the Greco-Roman pantheon of gods. And they're like, worshiping Zeus yesterday. I guess I want to worship Jesus today. How do we do that? And so uh, the apostles write letters to them. The apostle Paul writes a ton of them. About half of our New Testament are, are letters written to first century followers of Jesus as they're trying to navigate this. And he says something that speaks to this dynamic. And he's going to say it specifically in the context about food sacrificed to idols, because that was just a normal thing for their culture. We're like, that's weird. You know, I don't, I don't, think, any, I don't think any of you are like, well, I'm going to go home and sacrifice my hamburger to Zeus today. You know, I don't think that's, that's probably not going to happen, so maybe not quite as applicable in that regard, but for them, it was. For them, hey, me and my neighbor, we used to worship Zeus together. Now, I became a Christian, and he still wants me to go to the temple of Zeus, and what do I do? How do I navigate that? And so Paul's going to go into a lengthy description of, of that, but be, to set the whole conversation up, he says just this short little thing at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 8. 
He says, now about food sacrifice to idols, that's what he's talking about. We know that we all have knowledge. And this is, he's actually quoting to the Corinthians back to the Corinthians. And so Paul had correspondence with the Corinthian church. We have two letters that Paul wrote. We know there's at least one more that uh, didn't survive antiquity. Um, But they're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And apparently they had some little phrases or little sayings like, hey, we all have knowledge. Essentially, a, a phrase that they would use to justify some of their behavior or how they were living. And Paul's about to say, you have knowledge. That's great. That's fine. Knowledge isn't the point. Knowledge isn't enough. He says, for knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. And it's not that knowledge is bad. It's, it's great to know things. But knowledge for knowledge's sake tends to make us arrogant. Hopefully I spelled that right. My handwriting's sloppy enough you wouldn't be able to tell anyway. Knowledge has a tendency to make us arrogant. It has a tendency when it's on its own to make me feel like I'm better than you because I know more than you. I've been a Christian longer than you. I I have it all figured out. Knowledge has a tendency to make us go, you know what? There is no more room for me to grow. I have reached the pinnacle, the summit. I am a complete product. Like knowledge has a tendency to do that. Paul says, it's not that knowledge is by itself wrong, but but you have to have love undergirding that knowledge. Love has to be the foundation. Love builds a person up and builds other people up. And love is the thing that everything else gets stacked up on. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And he says, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know as he ought to know it. In other words, the minute that you think I have it all figured out is actually evidence that you don't. The minute you think, like, I got it, I've got it all together, he's like, eh, careful. And it's one of the, the guiding principles throughout scripture is that God opposes the proud, but shows mercy to the humble. Like, so the minute we start to think I'm something special, right? And then he finishes the thought with this, if anyone not knows about God, but if anybody loves God, then that person is then known by him, known by God. If anyone loves God, the love for God, the love received from God, like that is the thing that life is built upon. It's about loving God. So we build the rhythms of our life on that love. Because as Paul just said, love builds up. And as Jesus said in that interaction with Simon and the woman, whoever has been forgiven much loves much. So the rhythms of our life, and specifically as we want to create rhythms in our faith, to move us along and to grow us have to be rhythms that are founded on love, love for Jesus, which means it has to be founded on relationship. Love does not exist outside of the context of relationship. And so for love to build up, for us to live a life of love requires us to be in a relationship with Jesus, a connection there. Rhythms of relationship, rhythms that, as we said at the beginning, what are rhythms? They're regular, they're repeated, They're predictable. There's something that I can look forward to. There's something that stays consistent in my life, even when everything else is falling apart around me. Create those rhythms. I want to encourage you to do that. And I'm going to give some examples or some suggestions for us to create those kind of regular rhythms. But here's what I want to say. For some of you, maybe you already have some rhythms created in your life, and you're like, I have rhythms of connection with God. Great. Keep doing it. Um, or maybe you've got some rhythms of connection and they're starting to feel maybe a little stale, a little old. I've been there where it's like, yeah, I read my Bible. Now it's just nothing. Like I read it, but it's just nothing. Sometimes it's good to, to, to shock the system a little bit, to, to start a new uh, rhythm or to do an old rhythm in a different way. So if that's you, if you've got some rhythms, keep doing them, maybe change them up a little bit. But if you're looking for some new rhythms to begin, I'm going to offer three suggestions this morning. 
and give you some tools to, to do that as well. Here's the first one. The first one is to simply read the Bible, to read the Bible. These two are just talking, and I love it. It's just like, let me just put, let, let, let them come up here, and everyone will just go, aw. I was like, we don't care what Phil's saying. There's babies talking. It's adorable. First rhythm is to read the Bible. Um, and we've got some tools to help you with that. If you want to scan that QR code, that's going to take you to a Bible reading plan on our church's YouVersion uh, page. And so that can be somewhere where you can start. And I know that reading the Bible can be scary. It can be intimidating. It can be... It can be a lot of different things, um, and so we want to help you with that. This particular plan, it's, I think, like 19 or 20 days long. It's a plan by the Bible Project. It's accompanied by a lot of really cool little animated videos that are going to make the Bible hopefully come alive to you. And it's going to portray the Bible in such a way that it's a story about a God who is personal. Because, again, this is about relationship. So you want to scan that, you can do that. I'll invite you to do that. Also, uh, if you haven't already, download the YouVersion app. Um, and you have, if you're having trouble finding this plan, follow our church. Hope Community Minerva is on YouVersion. And you'll see this there as our featured plan. So maybe this is your first step, to start engaging with the scripture uh, to create that kind of rhythm. Um, here's another one. You know, we read the Bible, we hear from God, but it's also good to talk to him. And so I would encourage you to start a rhythm of prayer. Maybe that's the one for you. Right, you know, I, I want to I start praying. I want to start doing that. Prayer does not have to be scary or formal or, or structured. It's just you talking to God the same way you would talk to a person. Just start a conversation. And we, gave, we have a tool available for that as well. Uh, if you don't know where to start, on the kind of information desk right outside the doors, uh, there's a couple of, there's little cards that are prayer cards. And they've just got different prompts on them. There's, I think, 30 some of them of different, like, hey, try praying here or try using this posture or pray for this particular thing to give you ideas to just get that flowing of how can I begin a rhythm of prayer. And then uh, the final one I'll suggest is this, and this is one that, that I've really enjoyed over the years, um, is to get your physical body involved in your rhythm of connection with God, that we are embodied creatures, that we're not just spirits, but we are, we are bodies. Um, and so do what I just simply call walk and worship. Put some earbuds in, go for a walk with some, ear, with some worship music cranking in the earbuds. Uh, we created a, a playlist on Spotify, if you want to check that out, that is a walk and worship playlist. It's got about 45 minutes or so of music. Pop that in, go for a walk, and with music, be reminded of the truths of God, of who he says you are, um, of who, what he says is going on in the world, of what he's done, of his goodness, of his promises, and be reminded of that. So whether you employ one of these or you've got a different rhythm, I want to encourage you to put those rhythms into practice in your life. What are the things daily that, that keep you uh, focused and, and uh, moving in that direction, that carries you along the way a rhythm carries a song along, that carries you along in your faith and in your relationship uh, with Jesus? We're going to continue this series next week. We'll start talking about a different rhythm. Uh, let me pray for you, and the worship team's going to come back up. God, we thank you so much for who you are, for the way that you love us, for the way that you have uh, just worked in the world and in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who desires to, to know us and to be known by us, that your desire is to be in relationship with us. You are not cold and distant uh, and off somewhere far away, but you are, you are near. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Um, whose death on the cross paid for our sins to remove that barrier that was between us and you. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, through your spirit, 
who is living and moving and active within us, that you would encourage us and equip us, give us the, just the discipline that's needed, the strength that's needed to put some of these rhythms into practice. And God, as that happens, may we see more and more of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.